Welcome to the 6AM Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6AM Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6AMRun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to the 6AM Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisan. Always great to have you a part of the show. We have a good one for you today. This is one you're going to listen to. I think there's some very good information. We have a, a, a great guest. But before that, as always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to the website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So today we have Will Sampson, and I think you're going to want to listen to this one. Some good nuggets going to come out of this, and, and I should say Will Sampson, PhD. I don't want to th- forget that. And whenever I see somebody's um, profile and I see either sociologists, sociology. I was a sociology major in college, so I love talking to people who look at the group versus the individual. But Will, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for the audience? You bet. Thank you, Mark. And it's such an honor to be here. I'm super excited to uh, be talking with you today. I, um, I am a individual who gets to work with mission-driven entrepreneurs and executives. And I, I tend to work with people who want to do good and who want to do well. So they, they recognize that, you know, financial prosperity is important to the work we do. Like in order, you got to be able to pay the bills. Um, but I, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to spend a lot of my time working with people who also want to do good. Um, they want to leave a better world behind. They want to be good ancestors. And so, you know, we, it's so easy to turn on the news or open the newspaper and look at, all the problems that are out there. I'm grateful that I get to work with entrepreneurs and executives that are trying to <clears throat> start companies and build organizations that make the world better, that, that solve real world problems. And, and that also people want to work at <laughs> a lot of, I work with a lot of corporate clients and help them um, understand how the culture affects the very people they recruit, the kind of work they get to do, that kind of thing. So I'm, that's, uh, that's my story. And we're, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right into it because um, if you get a chance, everybody, go watch Will's TEDx talk. I think there's some great nuggets in there. It's only about 10, 15 minutes long, and it's it's not going to bore you. And it's got a little bit of humor in there, but it's got some really good points. And I want to go ahead and ask you, Will, like there is this this thought process in, I don't know if it's around the world, but I know it's in America where we put so much emphasis in being self-driven or self-promoted or that person who, you know, did everything on their own self-made. We hear a lot and we hear that and we, we light up like, oh, 
that person self-made. But you kind of see it a different way and want people to understand that there might not be such a thing as self-made and we, we need others to help us along our journey. So how do you kind of refocus that person who's looking to become successful and understanding that you're going to need those relationships and those partnerships in your journey? The best way to understand this question is to think about the most incredible CEO that comes to mind. Could be Steve Jobs, could be Mark Benioff, could be Larry Ellison, whoever that is. Now, can you imagine um, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, um, filing the taxes? No, he's got a CFO to do that. Can you imagine him setting HR policy? He's got a CHRO who does that um, and so on. You, you get the idea. So the, the most successful among us are the people who know how to, who know what they're very good at and they know how to find other people to help them. And we sort of understand that in the corporate context, but more broadly in culture, we have this narrative, this story that the most successful among us are the self-made. And, you know, this is a, this is a story we've been living with since the book Self-Help came out in 1854. It was written, this is one of my favorite historical facts. The book Self-Help, the original, the one, the one that started it all was written in 1840, 1854. And it was written by a guy named Samuel Smiles. Like, I wish I were making that up. You know, the Samuel Smiles wrote the original book on self-help. And we've just, we carry these ideas about how we succeed, about how we succeed because those are the stories we like to hear. We like to believe we, we're completely independent. We don't need help. You know, we've got it, this ourselves. But I, I simply can't think of an entrepreneur, a successful, quote unquote, self-made person who made it by themselves. The, the best example I can think of is Richard Branson. So <clears throat> no one would doubt Richard Branson is a highly successful entrepreneur, multi-billionaire, overcame learning disabilities, and so on. When Richard Branson was 23 years old, he went bankrupt. And his mom mortgaged her home to help keep Virgin Tower, a Virgin Record Store in East London afloat. And so today, when we when we listen to Richard Branson, when we admire his, his accomplishments, and they are admirable, we have to recognize that somewhere back in his story was, was an individual who believed in him enough to put her home to mortgage your home and keep this little record store afloat that eventually grew into this global empire. And I can do the same thing. Just take an entrepreneur, give me five minutes with them, and we'll begin to find the story of the people that helped get them there. The problem is that we, <clears throat> we don't think that's the way people succeed. We've been told, we've been fed this story by culture that the way we succeed is we go out on our own. And so it seems countercultural to involve other people in, in our life when in fact it's just to, it's accepting the reality that is. There's not a human on this planet that doesn't live in a world created by other people. We, I fall asleep at night and someone keeps the lights on. I have no idea how it works. I get in the car, I get gas in my car. I mean, all of these, these things that make our society work, they involve a, a network of interdependence. Um, and so I think the way I try to present it to people is just accept the reality that is. 
I love, I, if you remember Stephen Covey, he wrote the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I was, I was actually just listening to the, the final part of that. Yes. I book. love that book. And Covey says that trying to go through life with using only ind- independence is like trying to play tennis with a golf club. The tool is not suited to the need. We are, by definition, interdependent people. So I invite people to lean into that. And I love that. And and I think it's, you know, when uh, when it comes to mind, like we had, I think a couple years ago, I think Forbes had Kylie Jenner on there. And, and I think she was dubbed as the youngest self-made billionaire. Yeah. And it was kind of uh, polarizing because on one side you had people saying, good for her like i want to be i want to be like that's what i want to do and then you have people on the other side saying self-made like what are you what are you talking about like that that that, that's i think we need to to kind of uh rethink how we how we use that term and i'm glad you're saying it because i think we have a generation of kids you know including my own um that are coming up and and you know, they, they, they see success as having your face everywhere. They see success as, as a popularity contest. Right. And, uh, you know, the, uh, Hami, the, the CEO or the owner of a, a 6 a.m. run, he puts it so well where, you know, his daughter has, you know, or his daughters may want to be an influencer, but they don't understand what went on behind the influence, in, influencer's time. Right. And we don't always get to see the background right and that's on purpose a lot of times because it's dirty it's a lot of hard work and it requires a lot of time a lot of sleepless nights time away from your family it it's the hard it's the the dirty part of it right and in in your in your experience the work that you've done you know kind of explain how i'm sure you've had people that have seen what you do and, and come into your life and they say hey well i, I want to be successful i want to 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 be this in my future but then you saw, show them a glimpse of that hard work and behind the scenes right. and they get kind of discouraged yeah. you know how, how does that have you seen that and, and how do we kind of get past that absolutely and <clears throat> there's there's at least two answers to that question the first is I really ask people to just kind of pause and think, who do you look to as powerful, as important, as a good voice? And there are certainly people who are going to look to the power-driven, self-made individuals, and that's just a story they've chosen to live into. I think for the rest of us, though, we look out at luminaries in our world, Bono, Brene Brown, people like this, <laughs> listen to their story. And what do they do? They exude vulnerability. They exude authenticity. They talk about how other people help them. In fact, uh, Brene Brown did an interview with Bono earlier in Jan- in January, earlier in the year. And he was just revealing all these kind of these stories of the people that helped them, the the problems they, they overcame, the struggles of the early band. And so first I would invite people to just sort of do a reality check. When you, when you see somebody's story, um, just start to peel back the layers of that onion, even in your own mind. Um, does, it, does it fit? Is that a story you really can find yourself living into? Um, and does it match where you're at? And that's really kind of the second answer. And the second thing I invite people into, Mark, is 
you know, and if you've watched my TED talk, you know my story, which is that I'm a person in long-term recovery, but that did not come easily, right? I, I hit a I hit a major roadblock. I was an executive at a large contracting firm, and um, in not too short order, I was in a very different place. Um, and what I had to do was find people who were willing to love me, believe in me until I could do it for myself. And I think this is where we can really begin to change the equation. Because for, for many in our culture, and it was even true for me not that long ago, I struggled to accept myself, to believe in myself, to really look at myself in the mirror and say, I love you, man. Like, I, I just could not say that. I was wound up in all these stories I told myself. And thankfully, because I'm, I entered into the long-term recovery process, I had a group of people who said, it's okay. We, we're going to love you until you can love yourself. We're going to believe in you until you can believe mm -hmm. in yourself. And now when I get to do work with clients, when I get to do service work in the world, I see that as just giving that investment forward. A group of people decided to invest love and belief in me. I get to invest it in others now, thankfully. That is great. And it's so, uh, it reminds me of a, a very famous um, Drake line. I love me enough for the both of us. And you yeah. can always reverse yeah. that in that relationship. I love you enough for the both of us. You're not loving yourself. Hey, let me right. do it right now. Show you the way, let you recover, let you get to a good spot. And I, I love that. I, I, I really appreciate that story and, and what it does. And I'm sure you've, you've over time, you've, you've learned this is that in that spot, as these people were doing this for you, you, you were gaining empathy like you were gaining that attribute which and this might be a little personal on my end and people might think this also but i think that's the thing a lot of people in executive director ceo positions lack and not i'm not saying it in a way that's it's a negative towards them it's just when you're in a spot that you you're so far removed from the people doing the work it's it's very hard because these let's be honest like CEOs CFOs CI, they're busy people right and to ask them to hey take a moment see what the people on the floor see what middle management see what your regional managers are doing right. that takes time out of out of their lives and out of their you know the work that they're doing and it's kind of hard to to kind of gain that empathy and, and what you're telling me, the work you're doing is, you know, we could all do, we could all do better with our empathy, basically. Right. Is that what right. I'm hearing? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's not just time, but it's also, um, it's the, it's the re it's the resource, the emotional resources that is required mm -hmm. to be that kind of a leader. Um, you know, in, in too many of our American corporations and corporations broadly, but, but I just tend to know American corporations better. We, um, we have this kind of hustle path to get to upper management and then people move into the C-suite and they wonder why they don't have those emotional tools to be servant leaders. And now, and now <laughs> then they hire me or other people to come in and say, Hey, how do I become a servant leader? And we can certainly coach leaders through that. No, no doubt. No, no question about it. But what would it look like? And this is part of my personal mission. What would it look like if we started birthing and, and, and building companies from the ground up that were based on servant leadership? And we've, we've had some examples of that. Um, but, you know, for somebody to get into the C-suite, they have 
been the best at what they do. They have beat out many other people. And they rarely, we, we rarely have companies that um, reward people for that kind of vulnerability, that kind of empathy, these, these um, soft skills. That's the problem. We, we still generally measure in our corporate uh, um, success on time, scope, and money, and not on humans. But it turns out humans are the most important factor of all that. I mean, cause w- what I do, I work with a lot of companies helping guide them through particular changes, usually cultural changes. And that's the first thing I help them understand. There is this fourth element. It's not time. It's not scope. It's not money. It's people. It's humans. And when you understand humans and how to measure the value of humans, which is mostly through servant leadership, then you're setting yourself up for success because all the other things you want to have happen, humans have to do it. And if you if you're only measuring time, scope, and money, you're gonna you're gonna have a tough time succeeding. And i I love i I love one phrase, and I do not like another. I, a servant leader is such a is such a great um, term for you know, especially the 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 quote that uh, that. I love it. You know, good leaders eat last. And, and why I understand why soft skills is called soft skills. I think it gives it a negative connotation to some people because it gets put on the back burner a lot of times. And what happens is, you know, if I'm a, say for instance, if if I'm a, an IT company or financial company, like the training, they would never put technical training on the back burner. You know, a right. bank would never put financial training on the back burner. But what they would do is they would say, okay, we have a, an hour in in two months. We have an hour for everybody coming to the office and we're going to work on soft skills. Right. And it's like, that's something we need to continually work on. Because yeah. like you said, that fourth object, the human, which might be, which I believe is it's the most important part of a company. I mean, we're not fully AI yet. I, right. I don't think, I don't think I'm a robot. I, I hope you're not a robot. It's a great discussion, but, um, you know, I, I think I mean, in, in your line of work, are, are you seeing more of an emphasis on soft skills? Are you kind of seeing the same kind of lackadaisical attitude towards that type of training? Yeah. Well, I'll admit to a little selection bias because people hire me when they realize they need soft skills. Uh, they hire me when they realize yeah. they need those the other factors. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a selection bias. The people I tend to work with are people that already uh, realize they need that work. Um, but what I would say is that, um, you know, we are kind of nearing the end of the information economy. We have to look at this historically as well. So you know, Peter Drucker talked about this famously more, you know, 20 years ago that we're moving into a new economy, the information economy. And, and that's true. But we're at the point where we have so many tools and our technology has gotten so good that actually the differentiator is the people. I, um, I'm not currently lecturing now, but I used to lecture at one of the major colleges of engineering. And I used to joke that my my job was to teach engineers how to talk to humans (laughs) like so i taught things like change management conflict management conflict resolution things like this because these are the kind of skills that differentiate an individual in a competitive marketplace and you know it's not just the pandemic certainly unearthed some things that were already happening they made them more prominent but the reality is we are we're we're nearing the point where 
you know, we can continue to innovate. And AI, I think, I think is a exam- great example of innovation that can be good, could also be really horrible. Um, but <clears throat> the best technology in the world won't tell you how to work with a human to achieve this goal. And so whatever the whatever company is trying to accomplish, maybe they want to um, streamline the way they produce products and bring them to market. Maybe they want to streamline the way they, you know, the, the process for actually creating the products, designing and creating the products and, and moving away from projects to a product oriented company or a development model. Those are all human. They're, they're human things. Um, you know, you can, you can design the greatest technology, but if a human doesn't understand how to use it and if humans aren't communicating, then you're going to fall flat. And, and I think we're going to see the same thing actually with AI. I think there's a lot of people investing in AI because they're super excited about it. Like, this is this hot new cool thing. AI is as good as the people asking the questions. I can produce uh, loads and loads of junk by asking chat JP, GPT bad questions. And so if I don't, if I don't understand humans, it doesn't matter how good the AI engine is, right? If, if, you know, and I've seen this even, I, I use a, a more proprietary AI tool for some of the work that I do. And, um, you know, you know, we talked earlier about my emphasis on, on looking to, ha- to others to help us succeed. And originally when I would be, as I was trying to train the AI engine, I would ask it to write me copy about how we help each other succeed. And it would go out to the internet and would say, you know, we need some others, but eventually we have to all make it on our own because all it's, all the AI engine is capable of doing is asking what is sort of the consensus, the average, and the average will never help us excel. Um, but above average, the, the above average companies are the people who are realizing that people and the individual contributions or people of people are the key differentiators. That is, that is just amazing. And <clears throat> I wanted to, I definitely wanted to ask this and, and, you know, a lot of the people that listen to this show are, are people who are, you know, older people for, not old, old. <laughs> I, I'm one of those people, forties and fifties and, and, you know, either, uh, you know, people who stay in shape or getting back in shape and, you know, and at the same time, these are people who are looking to possibly do something that they've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. And, and they put it in the twenties, they said, I, I want to be a songwriter uh, in thirties. I still want to be in 40. Ah, it's too late now or, or something like that. So for the people listening who might be over 40, over 50, who think, you know what? I'm going to do it. Like I'm going to do it. I want to start this small business or I want to m- turn my hobby into a business. You know, is there ever a time that's too late to do this or how does someone even start the process of, you know, becoming their own boss or, or that entrepreneurial spirit hit them at 55. Yeah. How do they start that journey? Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned the age 55 because that's when I started my journey. I started over. I started my life over again when I was 55. Um, and boy, uh, this could be its own podcast episode, mm-hmm. just the answer to that question. But what I would say is that um, this is this is another example, though, where we need to not allow ourselves to be um, constrained by um, well what what one of my one person I know calls rules BS rules like mm-hmm. we're like our culture is sort of compro- comprised of these BS world rules like 
even if we don't even if we don't hear it from people, like there's a point in time when it's just too late for you. That's just that might have been true for, you know, my dad's or my grandfather's generation. It's not true for us. It's not true any longer. Um, the reality is and and it's not even true uh, statistically. Actually, there was a piece I want to say it was in the New York Times um, that the most successful entrepreneurs are people in their 50s and 60s in terms of starting a company, getting to profitability and selling it or taking it publicly, um, that there's a huge number of successful entrepreneurs who, who do the work later. But I would say more broadly, we're at this interesting time just in world history um, there's a great book by uh, a guy named Jamie Wheel. It's called Recapture the Rapture. It's not about religion. It's about kind of how we're going to move forward in our story. And his, his idea is that we, um, we had these narratives of sort of religion and spirituality that failed us or they didn't turn out to be as cool as we, we hoped they would be. We had these narratives of technology that seemed to be letting us down. And so we need a, a third kind of meaning and I think that's what a lot of us are asking, like, how can I create something that has meaning? How can I find meaning in my own life? And boy, if, if your readers haven't, list, haven't read this book, uh, they need to read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. So Viktor Frankl was a um, survivor of the Auschwitz death, death camps in, in Nazi Germany. And he survived by writing his ideas on tiny scra scraps of paper that he carried with him and he eventually carried out of the prison camp and it became this book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Frankl says that we need um, three things to give us meaning. We need a redemptive perspective on our suffering. We need a project to work on that we feel like has purpose. And we need a community of people who love and support us. And that second element, that project to work on, our world is desperately in need of innovative entrepreneurial people who can create great projects that are going to make the world better. There are people doing that. I, I've got one uh, client who is imagining what the world would look like if we broke down the barriers between spirituality and psychology. Like, because so many, you know, there's, there's these kind of artificial barriers created by the psychology industry. They're not necessarily bad, but but so often what we're now learning, like oftentimes the spiritual among us have been leading the way. We just didn't think we, we couldn't see the vision for it. You know, there's a um, if you know the book um, Positive Psychology by Martin Seligman, he was kind of one of the pioneers in the industry. One of the original reviews uh, from, I believe, it was the Journal of the American Psychological Association was basically saying, nah, this positive psychology, no, that's just a bunch of woo-woo. It's just goofy, right? And so what we're seeing now, because we just have so much more technology we can see inside the brain, is um, how some of these things that felt mystical to us, felt, you know, out of our grasp, really we have far more access to these things than we realized. And so I wandered a little bit. To get back to your original question, <laughs> you know, when, when we're – it doesn't matter what age – you, you come to that realization. It's when you get it, you get it. And the question is then, what are you going to do? How are you going to move forward with it? And, you know, I encourage people to wander and play. I know that's <laughs> like, we always think, well, I've got an idea. I've got to put a business plan together. No, wander and play. I actually was coaching a client earlier today 
who is in a secure financial position. He knows some, he, he knows his business is going to be sold or the business he works with. I said, well, how long before that happens? He said, probably six months. I said, good, dude, you got a gift, man. Go out, wander, play, see what strikes your fancy. See what you think, see how you think you can make the world a better place. And we ended up with him conceiving of a community gardening initiative that he's going to try. And I think that's the way we do it is we, we capture these ideas and then we, we try, we move forward, we do something. I think that's uh, that was a really long, long answer to your question. No, but. it was it was absolutely great, and yeah, I, I, there was. If you're listening to this, and and I, I, I urge you to go listen to that part again because there's a lot of good nuggets in there, and, and I think um, it's it's refreshing to hear someone. I, I like the the Brules thing. Is I, I'm going to steal that. So tell your friend whoever told you that. Like that is, you know, I, I was listening to you say it, and I'm like. Yeah, why are we putting these these artificial, you know, blockers on ourselves? Why are yeah. you know why are we why are we doing this? Like, who who cares if you're sixty, seventy? If you want to do something, do it. Like, yeah, yeah. no one's yeah. telling you not to. No one's but, telling you uh, not to. But that's how society works. You know, that's you, how you society, talk about yeah. me being trained as a sociologist. That's how society mm-hmm. works. We create norms because we say that's what's mm-hmm. normal, and then we try to live to the average. But the world is never changed by people living in the middle. It's changed by people who are willing to go to greater heights, to go that extra mile, to do something that seemed a little crazy. And I think, you know, I, I, and you brought up sociology and, and positive psychology. I think one of the things that I'm getting more aware of is this, um, this term, uh, collective illusions. And, yeah. you know, when it was explained to me, it was like one of those things like, what does this mean? Then you say it and you're like, oh my God, yes. Yeah. And of course, for people listening, collective illusions is something that a minority of people believe the majority of people want. Right. And society has told us, like, and, and I, I heard the best part of it, not the depending on what, <laughs> what side sure. you're looking at, is that a collective illusions from one generation becomes a norm in the next generation. So a lot of people believe that the number one thing that people want in life is to be successful, is to be financially successful, is to be a, you know, to be CEO, to be all this stuff. And, and so many people are now our generation, my generation, my, my kids are in or, you know, Gen Z is, um, they believe everyone wants to be popular. Yeah, that's what they they believe everyone wants to be popular. When actually, most people just want to spend time with their families. They right. want to be emotionally stable. They want happiness. But with collective illusions, the minority believe they know what the majority wants. And I think a lot of the stuff you deal with—I don't want to say deal is probably not the best best verb to use—but a lot of the, the, the people you work with, a lot of the companies you work with, a lot of the, the, the people that you are intertwined with throughout the day, their, their definition of success might be the thing that's holding them back. Yeah. And is it your job in, in the, the role that you're in to kind of back them up? Because I, I read a few of your blogs and, and one was just about slowing down. Yeah. 
One was literally just about you're going too fast, just slow down. So how do you work with that person who's just so gung ho and I just want to be popular? I seem to I want all the money. I want I, I got. And what's your role in that? And how do you how do you get them just to slow down a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a there's you know that there's the whole coaching methodology for working with that. But I would say that the 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 place where we start is really by um, helping people construct the story that they want to live into. And having it be their story, this is the problem. I, I love I, if I can just riff off of your um, of observation, course, because you know we we live in a world formed by previous generations, even of technology, like when and even of, of cultural trends. And so, you know, in the nineteenth and twentieth century, people were moving from rural areas to urban areas. There were all these newfangled contraptions like radio and TV and film, right? And what do you want to do? You want to be seen on radio or hear, heard on radio, seen on TV, seen on film. And in many ways, we're kind of still living in the wake of that. Um, but if you look at the trends and how younger people are increasingly, you know, again, statistically speaking, looking at social media and things like that, they're less likely to be taken by social media because they're looking for something deeper. They're looking for something uh, more significant. So to, get, to go back to your question, the, the way we work with that or the way I work with that is first by really helping people construct their story. What do you want your story to be? Because we live in a world constructed of our own stories. I mean, the years I was struggling with addiction, the years I was struggling with self-doubt, all those things, that was just me talking to me, man. Like, do you remember the old um, horror movie cliche where, like, the caller's inside the house, like, the, the person would pick up the phone on the first floor and uh, the bad guy was on the second floor, right? That's it. It's just me talking to me. It's, it's a conversation I'm having with myself. And so really the first step that I work with people uh, to, to really get away from that I, these cliched ideas of fame and success and, and, and financial abundance and all that are – Really, what's your story? What do you want to see in the world? What do you want to be true of you? And it's often true that you can find that by looking at your life as a story. And so uh, it's, I bring a lot of times I'll bring clients back to early years, you know, six, seven, eight, 10, 11, 13. And they're like, oh, yeah, I used to love. Well, why do you not do that? Like, why? Where, where did that happen? Well, my mom told me I needed to go to college and get a job. Well, my dad convinced me to go to law school or medical school or whatever. My dad convinced, you know, because we bought into these stories that were given us and they weren't our stories. And so I think one of the ways we kind of speak against the um, um, against this, these narratives of false ideas of success and popularity is by helping people find their own stories um, but the other way is we, I really help people move into places of contribution and service. And you know, if you look at the, if you could summarize, what do humans do? We do two things. I mean, what defines human existence, growth and contribution. Like we want to grow. We want to be more than we were before and we want to be able to give back. Um, and that's true for most, most of us. Um, and so the second, so step one is kind of finding your own story, but step two is also, um, finding a way to be of service to the world. And frankly, I 
borrowed some of that from the best of the recovery community, but this is a kind of a generally shared idea across all the wisdom traditions that the most meaningful life is a life of service. And so I really help people live in service because when you're when you wake up and say, how can I be of service today? You know, um, who, who, who should I talk to? Who can I help? What should I say and to whom? When you're, when you're asking those kinds of questions in the world, it takes your eyes off of those fake, you know, those, pla- those fake plastic visions of popularity and, and cheap, cheap success. And, you know, the, the and I, I, again, I want to shout out Podmatch and, and I love, this part talking about the work you do and you know currently in t3 ecosystem you write a collection of hackers thinkers activists and dreamers who are sprouting new ideas stories and products based on the idea of interdependence so let's talk about those hackers what do we what do we mean by hackers I mean, um, so, so, you know, and I, I go back now, I was an old, I wasn't too much of a hacker, but I was a, I was a developer in the nineties. Like I, I was a, I was a tech geek in the nineties. So I remember when, um, there was a lot more hacking involved in writing code and putting computers together and all that. Now I just go to the Apple store and I get my MacBook. you know, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine putting a computer together. together so, today. so do you remember, do you remember I, the, the movie at sneakers? I think it was the name of the movie. Did you oh, ever yeah. watch that movie? Okay. Robert Redford. Movie. Yeah. Yes. Robert Redford, Sidney Poitier. Great uh-huh. movie. Love that movie. That. And uh, actually the, the other one is the, actually the movie hackers, which was mm-hmm. totally wrong and, and ha- a hack itself. <laughs> like it never, it was, wasn't any, uh, it was you know, good. image was of good. reality, but, um, but that's I think that's where I first saw Angelina Jolie. Um, yes, she was she was in that movie. Yep, she was, that. yeah, and Johnny Lee Miller. I don't know why I remember that, but um, so the idea of hacking, and even today, when you know, when I I've organized a couple hack fests, and when companies that I work with have hack fests, and other social enterprises have hack fests, it's it's the idea of the collective coming together to try and solve a problem. And so often we've thought of hacking in this sort of non-ethical or unethical way of, you know, breaking into the bank and stealing money or, or holding governments hostage, whatever. But at its heart, um, hacking is a statement of kind of a statement of humility and confidence in it's this weird um, balance between them. Because the hackers I know and the best hackers, uh, the computer hackers, are people who know that they don't know much. They know a little bit. They know how to get started. Um, But they're also confident that if they keep at it and keep trying, they'll find the answers. And so uh, for me, I tend to surround myself more with life hackers and business hackers. But they're people who believe that a different world can exist. Um, They believe another world is possible. I know all all these things that so many of us care about, these phrases that are literally up on my wall, you know, like another world is possible, that the people I surround myself with, the life hackers, the business hackers, the social hackers, they actually believe that stuff. And and I do too. And And I think that's part of our work is really just collecting people who are willing to imagine a better, brighter, more hopeful world and then get to it. Let's get busy. Let's, let's be doing stuff. And so 
Um, I have actually set a goal over the next five years. I want to help a hundred entrepreneurs start businesses for social good. Um, and I just launched this January 1st of this year. So maybe I'll come back on in 2028 at the end of 2028 and I'll let you know how it went. But we've, you know, this is, these are the kind of people I want to surround myself with and, and the people who really truly believe in this idea of interdependence or mutual dependence, the idea that none of us succeed alone. Um, and, and when we begin to take that sort of model and that idea to the development of companies, I think, I think we can really change the world. Uh, if, if I'm still hosting this show in 2028 and, and you're on 99 and you just get to that hundred, please look me up and we'll definitely, definitely do that show. Um, I love and that it. sound, that sounds absolutely amazing. So before I let you go, I definitely want you to talk about the website, talk about willsampson.com. Uh, and you know, you want to help people. So yes. everybody go look at the website. What can people expect when they, and it, by the way, it's a great looking website, great Thank job you. on it. And I don't know if you wrote the code to that website, you know, or maybe you got help from somebody who does that. A little of both. <laughs> sure. A little of both. There you go. Yeah. Um, but it's a gorgeous website. So tell people about the website. What can they expect when they go there? Yeah. So it's sort of my one stop uh, to find everything about me. I have other parts of, of, of me on the internet, but the, uh, the portal or the gateway is through willsampson.com and Samson is without a P. And um, the best place for people to engage if they're like, well, this is interesting. Let me find more. I put out a weekly newsletter. It's very short. I, you know, I, I, I don't know if you about you, but I get some of these giant newsletters. It's like, dude, I don't, I don't have that much time. It's it's two or three paragraphs every week on a key idea that I'm working on. Um, and then um, that's how you can engage me to talk to me about coaching or also to talk to me about corporate consulting. And so there's there's sort of two ways in uh, to connect with me through the website. That's great. We will have that website posted in the show notes. And I'm assuming there's other ways to get in contact with you. I know you're on LinkedIn. Any other social media sites that you're on? LinkedIn. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of on some other sites, but LinkedIn is where I put the effort and where I put the time. A lot of my clients come out of the business community. So I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. And then, of course, they can um, access my podcast, Mission Driven You, um, which is on Apple and Spotify. Awesome. And I appreciate you saying that because I have so many people who are like, yeah, go to my IG page and they've had one post in the last 60 days. And you're like, why am I sending people here <laughs> to look at the same photo or video of you? I don't mean anything about anybody listening who I've interviewed before. I apologize. But Will, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. I really want to commend you on one, your recovery. That is amazing. Good for you. And two, the work you're doing to help people understand that they don't have to do everything on their own. Right. There is no deadline to start. And I love the fact that you don't have to have a business plan, jump in the water, see how it feels and kind of work. It'll work itself out. Just put in the effort. That's all that's needed. So thank you, sir. I appreciate it. This has been great. You take care of yourself and you have a great night. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. 
Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AMRun to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.